us. So what I'd like to share with you today is out of Mark 9. If you have your Bible, you want to open there, that's just fine. And the idea is, uh, you know, how, how do we endure in following Jesus in last place? Enduring in last place. Anybody watching the Winter Olympics? Yeah. yeah. Well, where, are the, where are the Winter Olympics this year? Korea, isn't that crazy, huh? All, all this this year about Korea, and it's in Korea, the, the nations have come to Korea. What's, what is your favorite Winter Olympic event? Curling. Curling. <laughs> hey, I, I did listen to a, a uh, brother-sister team that are the curling to represent the United States. They're really, like, really good. So that's a good choice, curling. Anybody? There's mumbles over here. Any other like favorite events? Downhill. downhill. It's all downhill. <laughs> speed, speed, speed skating. Figure skating. Ah, pretty incredible. Hockey, said by the Canadian. That's right. Great. Anybody else? Oh, okay. Is that in the Winter Olympics? Okay. Okay. So, does anybody have a, like a favorite uh, Winter Olympic athlete? I mean, does anybody know anybody that's in the Olympics and that you follow and root for? Okay. Okay. Okay, great. Okay, Sean White. Okay, great. It's kind of fun. Well, does anybody know an athlete that has made it their goal at the Winter Olympics to come in last? <laughs> I mean, it's not, I mean, it's great for us to like connect. There's something going on in our world. We ought to know about it. But at the same time, we ought to know there's a real difference between the Winter Olympics and the Kingdom of God. So I would say that every, every participant at the Winter Olympics shows up because they want to be first in their event and not last. And Jesus is going the opposite way in the Kingdom of God. He's saying, I want you, those of you that are participating in my event, the Kingdom of God, I want you... To be last, not first. That I mean, that's going opposite, right? That's going opposite ways. Another contrast. It's, it looks to me like that somebody pulls out all the stops when those athletes show up, wherever they are, wherever there's Olympics. It really looks to me like everybody is there to serve those athletes, to make sure they're comfortable, to make sure they have everything they need. And sometimes some of those athletes kind of have this attitude that you better serve me well. Yeah? Well, that's the Olympics. What about Jesus? Jesus is saying, I want you participating in my kingdom to be the servant of all. Stop being served, be the servant of all. So kingdom greatness and winning the gold are just not the same thing. So last week, Becca took you down the road where Jesus says, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. 
And then he took a little child. He took a Wimberley. And he put Wimberley among them. Then he, then he took Wimberley in his arms. And he said, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not just me, but the one who sent me. One commentator says, the disciple of Jesus demonstrates his or her renunciation of power and greatness when he does not value only the work which, which enjoys from great success. Even the reception of a single child establishes fellowship between Christ, the King, and his disciples. There was also the value of receiving a cup of water given. Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons, which would seem to be like, that's kind of a great thing to do. And he, he was doing it in your name. And we tried to stop him because he was not following us. He wasn't in our group. And Jesus said, don't stop him. For no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon after to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. For truly, I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink, because you bear the name of Christ, will by no means lose the reward. I think what, what Becca shared last week in those passages with Jesus speaking, us trying to follow Jesus, learn from Jesus. I mean, obviously, Jesus turns our standard of, of how we define greatness and service, he just turns those upside down. He is inviting us to be counterculture. He is inviting us to go a different direction in our culture. And he does that in order to challenge us to endure in that play, in that last play. I want you to endure in last place. Now just think about that. I want you to stay over the long haul, in last place, and I want you to learn to become servants of everybody. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's a challenge. I think it goes against the grain of something within me that wants to be first, wants to be served. I think it definitely flies in the face of of education. I mean, all of us have gone... To some sort of school where we were encouraged, be the first in your class. Yeah, but where do you work? Most people where you work, people want you to be like at the first. They, they want like your sales, they want you to be first. I mean, I mean, isn't that, isn't that how our world works? Be first, be first. And Jesus is saying, that's not how my kingdom works. So the systems, you know, there's something, there's an internal mechanism within me that resists that, and then the systems of our world really work against it. So, I mean, Jesus is really, I think, challenging us. Now, I wish I could just say, hey, Becca, my throat is sore. You know, why don't you come out of children's ministry or wherever you are, and why don't you do the rest of this? Because this doesn't get any easier. You ready? This is an incredible passage, which I hope will make some kind of sense when we're done. So Jesus wants to teach us how do you endure in last place and how do you grow to become a servant of all. If any of you put a stumbling block, scandalize is really the word, 
before one of these little ones, like a Wimberley who believes in me, or the guy that's casting out the demon in Jesus' name but doesn't quite belong to the group. It would be better for you if a, if a big millstone, we're, we're not talking about the, like the home style where you do your herbs and stuff. We're talking about the kind that's at the farmyard that the donkey pulls the big stone around. We're talking about a big, big stone. It's better for you to get one of those stones, put it in a boat, go out into the Sea of Galilee, tie it around your neck and throw yourself into the sea. Whoa, Jesus, that's vivid imagery. Well, he doesn't stop. Gee, if your hand causes you to scandalize, to stumble, cut it off. Everybody look at your hand. It's better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and to go to Gehenna. To the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, which mine do every once in a while, but look at your foot. Cut it off. Oh, gee, this is getting like bloody. Jesus coming, what? This what? Cut it off. It's better for you to enter life net lame than to have two feet and be thrown into Gehenna. If your eye causes you to stumble... Tear it out. Close your eye. Just one eye. We all be walking around one eye. For it's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes to be thrown into Gehenna where their worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. I don't even want to know what that means. (laughs) I didn't even know I had a worm. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. I don't know if it's good in this context because it's not sounding real positive. But if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Now, that is a highly, highly figurative passage. I hope that you understand that. I, I can't even count the number of figures of speech in that. The, the most repetitive figure of speech is called exaggeration. Jesus is exaggerating so that we get the point. He's not literally, do we all, are we all on the same? He's not literally saying, cut your hand or your foot or pluck your eye out. Do we all understand that? And do we all understand when you identify a figure of speech in the Bible and you understand it, says that is a literal interpretation of the Bible? The Bible is very metaphorical. Metaphor is not the same as allegory. This is a little Bible interpretation because I'm so irritated by the conversation that we're having in the church today. If we cannot identify figures of speech and define them and understand them as such... And, and be known as people that are literal in our interpretation of the Bible, then what in the world are we talking about? You're going to have to take everything literally. So go get that millstone. There's a few of them, so they're in Israel. I've seen them. And the Sea of Galilee's still there. And you probably can rent a boat. I've been on a boat on the Sea of Galilee. You show up with your millstone, they'll take you out there, tie that rope, throw yourself in. You're going to be literal, that's what you need to do. Are you, are you tracking with me? 
Everything in this is very, very <coughs> metaphorical. But it doesn't, it doesn't lose the point. The meaning comes across. Whew. Okay, guiding question. How do we endure? How are we going to endure? How are we going to be last place all our life following Jesus? How are we going to do that and have a good attitude? Do that we know we're representing. How do we do that? How do we serve? Not get tired of serving. I, well, it's my turn to be served, Ed Gummit. How are we going to do this? Well, that's the path. I think that's the guiding question. Part of my reading, there was this phrase, imaginative interpretation. If we do not, if we do not use our imagination to kind of put ourselves there and kind of think, okay, what is, Je- what is Jesus really asking behind this? Then we may not understand what Jesus is saying to us. But I think you've got to start at the end and come backwards, okay? The first thing Jesus says is, be at peace with one another. Be at peace with one another. He's, he's, I mean, it started with they were arguing about who would be the greatest, and it ends with him saying, be at peace with one another. So in real simple terms, stop arguing about position. Stop arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Stop it. That, that is a fruitless argument. And then I really do believe he probably would attach it. Stop arguing about theological positions. Stop it. You can have conversation. That's good. I mean, if, we don't, if we're not going to have a conversation out of a passage like this, then, you know, what in the world are we doing when we read the Bible? I'm not going to answer every question that's going to tumble through your head today at all. So we should have conversation. But we do not need to get in an argument. And then you go that way and you go that way. You, I'm out of here. That's silliness. That's, geez, that's a silliness. You'll never learn to be last if you don't stop arguing. So we've got to learn how to reconcile. Folks, we, we, we get lots of opportunity to reconcile. Have you noticed that? I mean... I mean, I mean, I'm really I have a sister that has devoted her life to the ministry of reconciliation. That does help me. But I have noticed just living, I got to reconcile again and again and again and again and again. And I don't let relationships just go. Now, sometimes they go, but it's because sometimes people don't deal. We don't want to reconcile. And that's sad. But Jesus said, you got to reconcile. You got to strive to serve everyone in your circle of influence. The folks in this room, if we're going to gather, if we're going to really be this thing that Jesus, we've got to serve each other. We've got to serve our kids. If, if I'm up here and I'm not up here with an attitude to serve you, then you don't need me up here. You get that? People that stand in front of churches are not to be served. And if they have that attitude, it's time for them to go away. That's not following Jesus. That, that, this is kind of fun. Learn to get in line last. The next, whenever you have an opportunity, get in the line last. And just, okay, I'm trying to learn how to endure and being last. So I'm going to get in the line first. 
Now, people always, whenever everybody, well, you're the pastor, you should get in line first. No, I should not get in line first. If you want me to model what Jesus, I need to be in the last. You, don't, don't put that on me. Thank you for deferring, but don't defer to me. Don't put me at that pedestal. People that are pedestalized get pushed off. I don't want to fall. So let me be last. Let me be last. Does this, I mean, does this passage speak to you? Is this your world? The next thing he says is be salted with fire. Be salted with fire. Well, just to give you some hope. In the lexicon, it says, the manuscript tradition, that's what MSTRD means, the manuscript tradition is uncertain and the meaning obscure. So, you know, there's, there are kind of two ways you can go with this. I'm going to go one. Every sacrifice in the Old Testament was, was, salted with, was salted. And fire serves as a symbol of the suffering and sacrifice by which the disciple is tested. Tested not to fail. Gosh, you got to get that. We got to get that. God tests us so that he proves our character. So that we get rid of the stuff that would keep us from moving on. He doesn't test us so we stumble and fall. So he's trying to bring out the qualities of our life. And sometimes he does that through suffering and sacrifice. Again, it would be silly for us to not to say, you know, it's sacrificial to be last. To endure and being last, that's sacrificial living. To serve others when, when everything inside of you is, oh, I don't want to serve them. I don't want to serve them. That's a sacrifice. Because of the purifying and seasoning and preserving qualities of salt, it's a symbol of endurance. So that there's a message in this about enduring in last place. Enduring as we, as we strive to be a servant of all. And G, the value that Jesus is trying to preserve is the value of people following him staying in last place and being servants of all. Men, how are you serving your family? How are you serving your kids? How are you serving your wife? I mean, I mean, I was born in the 50s. You know, that's when my dad showed up. Deep sigh of relief walked in the door, and my mother ran and got his slippers and said, You sit down, honey, I'm making your dinner. You know, I'm gonna I'm here to serve you. That imagery of American life and the housewife serving the husband because he's been working so hard, not quite true, is it? It doesn't mean that the wife doesn't serve the husband. But guys, men need to serve, not be served. How we serve in our city? What, what, how we, how, what are we doing? Are we thinking of, are we thinking of i got to serve the people around me in the city. How we serve in the people that we work with? How we serve in the people in the classroom? Are we, are we thinking in terms, how do I do that? Because I'm following Jesus, that's what he's asking me to do. 
So Jesus highly values us being in last place and us being servants of all. The last thing just to throw in there, salt from the Dead Sea is mixed with gypsum and other. So if, if that, that salt loses its saltiness, it just means that the salt bleeds out and you're left with this stale alkaline taste. So how do we, again, figure of speech, how do we lose our saltiness? We lose our saltiness when we stop striving to be last and we stop striving to serve all. As soon as we demand to be first and, deserve, and we demand that others serve us, we have lost our saltiness. So be salted with fire. Be willing to sacrifice. And this is where it really gets kind of like hairy. There is no sacrifice too costly if we are to endure in last place and be a servant of all. And that's where Jesus comes across with this very radical encouragement. If, if your eye causes you to scandalize, tear it out. That's sacrificial. If your foot causes you to scandalize, cut it off. If your hand causes you to scandalize, cut it off. If you cause one of these little ones who believe in me to scandalize, then tie a large millstone to your neck, throw yourself into the sea. I mean, that's all sacrificial language. There is no sacrifice too costly for you to be in last place and to serve others. That's what Jesus is saying. So you might want to say, well, what is, what is that? Well, you're using scandalize, and that's not in my Bible. Are you making that up? I'm not making it up. I promise. If you, want, if you ever want to know where my resources are, you can ask. I don't put them in there because it becomes too laborious to put references. But scandalize means to cause loss of faith. And it is something that happens in the present. But as it happens in the present, it does have a future effect. What, we, what happens in the present is connected to the future. Jesus probably used these words to mean to lead astray, to cause to wander, to give offense. And so the questions that I ask of us, and I think Jesus is asking, is in what ways do my activities or my movements or my sensual perceptions cause others or even myself or both to lose faith, to begin to wander away? In what way do I give offense to others? In my activity, in my movements, in what goes on within me, and the signals that I send out. And then how, how do, I, how do I live today with a healthy recognition of a future day of reckoning before my king? That seems to, that's the point. Those are the questions. We're going to come back to those. But that seems to be the point. And it's that future day. Again, I just have to give a little explanation. We could have a longer talk about this, but it's about Gehenna. And I use Gehenna purposely because there is a literal place called Gehenna. And the word in Greek is Gehenna. The word in Greek is not hell. It's Gehenna. 
And it's a valley in South Jerusalem. And when you go on a journey, you, can, you stand and you say, that's Gehenna. You look down into the valley. And in that valley, there were sacrifices to Molech. Offered in the days of Ahaz and Manasseh. It was a, it was a tremendous affront to the God of Israel. For there, be, to be, there was child sacrifice in that valley. And so that valley, the valley of Hinnom, became, again, it became a figure of speech. A place that, be, that meant something else. It was the place of the last judgment. And so basically there, there will be, there's going to be a future day of reckoning, which reminds us that we need to present ourselves daily as living sacrifices because we know that today is going to count later. And what we do in the present, it does have future consequences. It can be good, but it can also be bad. So it's not like we should just cut ourselves off from thinking about the future. Because in thinking about the future and knowing that I'm going to have to give an account should bring me, okay, today I'm going to choose to live in sacrificial ways so that I can be in last place and I can become a servant of all. So it reminded me of what Paul says in Romans. It's, I think it's a passage that should be a home, home-based passage for all of us. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Oh, may we can't do this without God helping. Take your everyday, your ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of maturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. That is a great passage to have on the mirror, to put on the dashboard, to put on, I mean, carry that around, memorize it. That really speaks in the language of, okay, if I'm going to endure to be in last place, I've got to learn to make daily sacrifices. And finally, in living it out, it, I, I want to connect this to Advent because that season is coming. So I want to encourage us to use this season of Lent for both personal and communal examination. So I come back to the questions. You know, in what ways do my activities or my movements or my sensual perceptions, what's going on within me in places you can't see, how does, how does that cause others or myself or both to lose faith? And begin to wander away from following Jesus. In what way am I giving offense to others? You know, when people get mad at the church, I think that what Jesus would have us to do is examine ourselves first. Have we stopped serving our culture? Have we stopped being willing to sacrifice? 
Can we stop being willing to suffer? So that we've turned Christianity into this idea, well, we should be first here. And we should be served here. If we do that, we do give offense to the world around us. And we should be the first to say, oh, time out. We're scandalizing faith. The other thing is, how do I live today with a healthy recognition of a future day of reckoning before my king? I wanted to read you an article today, which I'm going to have to just say for another time. But it really, what it, what it contrasts is that for many of us, Billy Graham became this person that told us the truth about Jesus and sin and about relationship with Jesus. And that's part of the story. But he left out the other part of the story, which is that once we come to faith in Jesus, our sins are forgiven, then we got a whole lifetime of opportunity in working with God to bring whatever is better into the world now. So an unhealthy recognition of the future day is like when I was 12 years old and I went to a Billy Graham film. And it was about Armageddon. It was about the end of the world. And as a 12-year-old that was not churched, I just sat in horror. And I was scared to death. And I went and I went, yeah, you want to, you want, would you like somebody to talk to? Yeah, 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 yeah. I do. I wanted, I, yeah. And it was basically, well, did that scare you? Yes, it scared me. Okay, good. You should be scared. Okay. And so literally, I'm telling you the truth. I went home. I had my little Gideon green Bible that they gave me, and they showed me where the beast was going to devour us all. And that's, I kept that little thing in my, my closet, and there'd be times at night that I'd wake up shaking and quivering, and I'd read that, oh, I'm supposed to get comfort out of this, and I'm not getting comfort out of this. See, scaring people into relationship with Jesus is ridiculous. When did Jesus ever do that? Never. Never. Jesus never said to an individual, you're going to go to hell if you don't follow me. He didn't ever say that. But somehow that message has crept into our culture. And my, my friends, if you're following Jesus today out of this fear of burning eternally in hell, and there's some guy who's going to look through the window and go, ah, you're still suffering in there, I'm so glad. If that is your image of God... Man, we need to visit. I mean, again, go through this passage. It's not God that's tying millstones around people's necks and throwing them in the lake. It's not God that's plucking eyes out or chopping hands off. But somehow, when we, when we, when we tie into that cultural message that's attached to the church, that's what we begin to think. And we lose sight that God allowed himself to suffer in our place so that we would not have to. So that we're now announcing to the world there's forgiveness and there's light and there's love. And man, get in relationship with God. We have a positive message. It's not a negative message. At all, it never has been. Reread the Bible. 
But it is healthy to know I will give an account. I, I will stand before Jesus someday and I will give an account of my life. And I will receive correction for what was not so good. And I'm going to receive blessing for what is good. That's going to happen. And I, so I do remember that. And there have been times in my life that I woo, needed to remember that. Because I was going the wrong way. So can we use Lent for a season of personal examination and communal examination? And ask these questions. I'll put them on our website. Last thing. I discovered that in synagogues, you know, the, the worm thing? <laughs> That's a verse in Isaiah 66. It actually ends, if I'm thinking right, it's close to the end. It might not be exactly the end. But when that verse is read in Jewish synagogues, see the dark, that's read, the worm thing is read, and then the dark thing is read again. Why are they doing that? We're going to do this in a minute, but why are they doing that? I think that that's done within Judaism because you don't want to lose sight of what's most important. What's most important is new moon, Sabbath, all flesh come to worship. It's the positive side of the gospel. It's not the negative side. This doesn't, this doesn't ignore the negative, but it doesn't make the negative the last word. It's the positive becomes the last word. Does that make sense? So I want to do two things. One If you know you're scandalous, you just know I just you, I'm living a life that's that's creating scandal. And you want just I, that's all you need to say. I'm scandalous. Then then I'd love and others would love just to say let me pray with you. Because, well, part of it is because you represent me. And if you're scandalizing, then you're scandalizing me. And I don't want to do that. So if you just know, you're going down the wrong path. And you want help. Would you just meet me over there on the carpet? And we'll, we're not going to wrestle on the carpet. We're just going to, you know, we'll stand with you. We'll help you. We'll pray with you. So that, that we're not scandalizing our faith. So that's the invitation for this, for ministry this morning. If you, just, if you just have this sense that, oh man, the way I'm living my life, the direction that I'm going, what's going on within the interior of me, I know that I'm causing offense to others. If you know that's you and you want to do something about it, then it's good to just admit that and then we can pray. Okay? So meet me there after we say the benediction. But I'd love for us to end our time with benediction. So pretend like you're a Jewish person and stand with me. And you really kind of are. You're kind of like this extension of Judaism. And I'd like us to say loudly 
loudly what's in bold print. And then I'm going to say in a softer voice what's between those. Because I want us to remember (laughs) the positive side of the coin and maximize that and minimize what's in the middle. All right, ready? One, two, three. From new moon to new moon. And they shall go out and look at the dead bodies of the people who have rebelled against me. For their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. From new moon to new moon, and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. If you want to pray, meet me there. If not, greet one another. Enjoy the day. Amen.